Since we enjoyed reviewing Beyond the Curve and our good friend Mark Sargent so much, we decided to check out another documentary. Uh, yes. This one is actually a little bit more recent, just came out, uh, and it is excellent. Um, it yes. is called Feels Good Man. Um, so we're going to be jumping into that, doing a little bit of a deep dive on it. Uh, why don't we start with some first impressions? Um, sure. Jack, what'd you think of it? Uh, I really, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I think it's a sign of a good documentary when you're kind of like, man, I, I, like, I'm almost sad that's over. I, I wish there was more. I, like, I want to know more about the story. Like, which is, you know, it almost is perfect because it tells a complete, kind of like a complete story, um, or at least you feel like it feels like a good resolution. Like it leaves at a good moment, but you still want to know where it's going to go. But you, they can't really tell you where it's going to go because it's still the story is still being told. It. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's um, happening right now. So it is. It's the story. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's the story of the me- the meme Pepe, the Pepe meme, um, the frog meme. That uh, the classic one is him saying "feels good, man," which is the title of the documentary, and it is. Um, the story of the cartoonist who originally made that character and how that blew up out of proportions outside of his control with the dawn of the internet and how it came to be, you know, appropriated by some really scummy people like right wing white nationalist people. Right. Ultimately um, becoming a symbol for the alt right movement. Yeah. And, you know, of hate, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And. I mean, I I think it would have been very easy to do a bad documentary about that, but the way that it's produced, especially the use of um, the use of music and animation, makes it really engaging. It makes you feel like it's a trippy, weird subject for a documentary, and they lean into that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I liked it so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I personally feel like you know a a documentary. It's and before we get into too much of the plot, I do want to call out the director, uh, Arthur Jones, who did a fantastic job on this documentary. And, you know, I think is is a great example of how, regardless of the subject matter, you know, with a good director and a good vision behind the storytelling, you can make anything a, a compelling documentary. And vice versa, you know, I've seen uh, documentaries about topics I thought I'd, you know, I went in being very interested in the topic, but it was told in a very boring way, which ultimately made, yeah. you know, which ultimately suffered, you know, the the, um, the documentary ultimately suffered because of it. So, you know, this one had a very, very uh, unique style to it. And it was constantly doing these kind of transition moments where it did these trippy art styles utilizing Pepe and, you know, the other... Uh, characters used in the comic um which was boys club where Mm -hmm. that was the uh comic that originated the pepe character which was like kind of these four uh kind of stoner college guys you know kind of hanging out and stuff and you know it's funny the the original uh the thing that it all kind of generated from is this like really funny panel of 
Pepe peeing with his his pants at his ankles and someone asking him, you know, why do you do it like that? And he goes like, well, it feels good, man. Um, <laughs> and, and that's really kind of emblematic of, of the style of this cartoon and what its creator, uh, Matt Fury, was going for, which is like, you know, he's this really laid back kind of hippie guy. And yeah. his characters were kind of reflections of, of him you know kind of different sides of, of his personality kind of all coming together and hanging out so you can see how the beginning of this was it was just such humble origins you know he's this cartoonist from san francisco who you know is just like living this very like chill humble life and then you know he starts noticing that his his character pepe which ironically was 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 kind of the most innocent of the boys club members started to yeah. slowly get appropriated by the internet and it became this this uh, this meme, um, partially because you know he's a goofy looking character, but also because it, he's so easy to draw that other mm-hmm. other people were kind of mimicking it and 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 creating different characters with him wearing outfits and and you know like uh, you know uh, doing parodies of, of different celebrities and things like that and it and for a while it became this uh, kind of funny uh, you know viral sensation. But then it quickly spiraled uh, into this something that's that's a, a lot more sinister, um, and it's very interesting how they get into kind of the, the psychology of how that was used, um, you know, for nefarious purposes on the internet. But I think it all hangs around this character of Matt Fury, which I, I think is like he's the emotional heart, and like his story is this the backbone of the the story of this creator who's like I made this thing out of pure intentions and as a symbol of like innocence and fun and silliness and to see my creation appropriated by people who just want to use it to mock and hurt and spread hatred and division like and how much that pains him and it kind of like it's his arc is an arc of growing up in a way or like of maturing even I mean he was already grown up but of maturing as a creator from somebody who just is like well I I mean people can take it how they want to to sort of like literally fighting back against the people who are turning this into a symbol of hatred you know it's it's rather straightforward of you know the the events going from kind of ABC to D you know you, mm-hmm. you have this this artist who you know, has created this this comic book series uh, called Boys Club, which originally uh, debuted on Facebook. Or not, no, no, actually it was MySpace. He originally did this cartoon on MySpace. So now you get a sense of like how how far ago he started, you know, kind of working on these things. But yeah. what ends up happening is that Pepe kind of gets co-opted on things like 4chan and Reddit, um, but almost like predominantly 4chan, which is kind of like, if you, I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to to our podcast, you, you've heard of 4chan before. But just for the people who don't know, it's kind of this, um, this kind of Reddit hard. You know, like it's it's like Reddit if it was shittier and like more disgusting and and, and more filled with kind of like vile trash. Yeah, because um, there's no accountability. There, exactly on Reddit, at least you can get banned. Like Correct. on 4chan, there's just no accountability whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. So there were these yeah, bra- so so there were these drawings that started to pick up on 4chan. You know, they started to co-op the the image of Pepe, but it was originally kind of taken on as this symbol for the sad. You know, they they started depicting Pepe as this sad frog. It's it's impossible for us here to break down 
each step along the way of this meme starting out as like bodybuilders like posting the meme of feels good man and as like i did a good job at working out today feels good man to like kill jews man which is where it winds up like horrible um but in the documentary they will walk you through it and what i'd like to talk about briefly before we move on is the experts like specifically the the one dude who still lives in his mom's basement and is proud of it that they get to talk about that Uh, the 4chan expert basically uh they refer to themselves as neats which i i don't really know too much about that term but i guess it's um not in education employment or training or something like that and they're just people who have dropped out of life basically Mm -hmm. in japan there's like i guess the term for them in japan or a term for people like them in japan is hikikomori of like just these people who have dropped out of life and are isolating themselves and relying on their parents to survive it it does a brilliant job of starting with the the feels good man the the innocent part you know like uh, my workout gains feels good you know like it, it it's a very positive thing then it then it becomes a symbol for the neats as you said and then you see you know, a couple of cute girls try to put it up on Instagram and it's that instant gatekeeping that comes out of them being like, no, this is ours. Like you, you don't get to be a part of our culture. You don't get to be a part. You don't get to enjoy Pepe. So what do they do? They, they try to poison Pepe Mm -hmm. by making it as offensive as pumping out as many offensive Pepe memes as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And that's where this all started. First, it was ironic but they actually have like a literal Princeton professor talk about it. And he's like, yeah, it starts out as irony. But at some point, the irony just drops away and it becomes this, you know, there's no joke anymore. It just is racist. Um, right, right. It's, it's all about, you know, um, it, it starts as like, we don't want normies, but then we don't want normies turns into like, we don't want Jews. We don't want blacks. Like it, it very quickly devolves into what like... <laughs> the the most evil kind of like distillation down into uh like what truly people are feeling and and you 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 touched on it it the the whole defense mechanism around it is is creating ambiguity around what's real and what's not is this performance art is this being metal and and punk rock to to be so ridiculous that that it puts a spotlight on things on injustices in the world or is it just an excuse to be as vile and racist and homophobic as possible and it clearly is the latter Mm -hmm. or at least that's where it wound up like there may have been people who are not genuinely intending hate who posted these things out of like for a joke but at a certain point it's like if you're making that kind of thing if you're saying something racist in irony how is that different in the at the end of the day of saying something racist in earnest like it's mm-hmm. just um and i think the the part there one of the experts on um like anti-defamation experts uh mentioned something that i i really stood out for me and really helps explain the alt-right to me um he was like you know what they want is to post something like horrifying in an ironic way so that you'll feel terror so that you'll feel scared of a threat of violence and then they can also mock you 
for feeling scared in the first place because it was all a joke. They mm-hmm. want both, and they enjoy that you the like the suffering that that causes. Right. It's it's like emotional terrorism. Yeah, it is just cruelty. Um, it's almost like the equivalent of like, you know, the school bully who would like quickly raise his fist and like jerk at you to like make it look like he's about to punch you, and then yeah. when you recoil and you flinch then they make fun of you for flinching yeah it's that's exactly it um and you know i i think like on its own this is like i almost wish i could show this to my parents i don't know if they could handle the dark themes it's intense i i had some trouble at points watching it but there's so many people in our society who just don't understand a lot about this aspect this like cadre of people and also what it gets into is the role that they had in getting Donald Trump elected and weirdly the role that Pepe had in getting Donald Trump elected, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so this narrative that they go through um, in the documentary, it's, it, it pretty much all culminates in the 2016 election and, and how uh, the neats on the internet basically decide in, in, in unity that, Trump is our guy and Pepe is going to be kind of our symbol to to kind of get him in the White House. And they even say, you know, when he ultimately gets elected is that we memed a president into existence, basically. I think this is the moment for me to talk about possibly my favorite part of this documentary, which is the the magician, the sorcerer that they get. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I was like, did I read that right? When, when that, <laughs> the energy healer or some shit like that, right? It was like well, he's he's like literally like he's a, a wizard, um, and he wears like he looks like he's he was a teacher at my high school. Uh, he wears like a, a button up shirt and khakis, but he has a long, scraggly gray wizard beard um, and like a ponytail and glasses, and he just is talking about the occult side of all this. Because and what's crazy is in order to tell this story properly, you have to at least present the occult side of all this, because taken from their own perspective, these neats believe not only that they memed a president into the White House, but they used something called meme magic to get the president into the White House and that they were somehow through the spreading of memes, summoning this occult force to create harm for Donald Trump's enemies and support for Donald Trump himself. Uh, Mm -hmm. up and to and including the point where uh this the like a shorthand for laughter on the internet is keck um which i don't know the origin of that but they found an ancient egyptian frog god called keck and they they would call upon pepe as an avatar of this ancient egyptian frog god keck to to get Donald Trump into the White House. Right. Um, and, like, literally they talk about a moment where they were, like, willing Hillary Clinton to stumble and fall, and then it happened. Um, just some weird, bizarre shit that I am fascinated by. It is a bizarre story. Is I Like, that's why I bring that part up, is because this takes so many twists and turns, and it could be easy to get lost, but the documentary does a very good job mm-hmm. of taking you through it step by step, I thought. Right. So so at this point, now that Pepe's become this symbol, Hillary Clinton responds by officially designating Pepe a hate symbol. 
on her um, website. That's where it started on correct. her website. I was not aware of the the amount of history that this character had had. Um, I just saw it as this kind of random thing on the internet, and then when it was a hate symbol, designated hate symbol, it was just like, okay, uh, going to avoid that now. And I think that it and this could be kind of like a. Uh, you know, you, you never know, you know, it's like you, you never notice something and then once you see it, you can't unsee it. But I feel mm. like once it was designated a hate symbol, I started seeing it everywhere. Mm. Um, and it and it really blew up and it was it, like you couldn't get away from it. And I think it's kind of one of those like everyone's talking about it and that ironically is giving it more power. Uh, Ab- absolutely. I also think that something they talk about in the documentary sort of where Matt Fury comes from it is. Once you designated it a hate symbol, then what else can it mean? Like, once you say, like, once the people on the side of justice say, this is a sign for evil, then it'll never be anything but that. Like, and people will get sick pleasure from posting it just to freak people out. So that's, that's I think, what will end up happening is once it was designated as an evil thing, People like when Hillary Clinton posted that on her website, according to the documentary, um, they people like laughed at her about it because it's like, oh, it's this frog on the internet. You're afraid of a cartoon character, and the alt right posted it even more because they knew it would freak out the libs, you know. Um, so I I think that it did wind up giving that more power and also pushing it further down that path towards something that was. A dark symbol. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, you you said it perfectly. Like one, once you designate it as a hate symbol, what else can it be? There's no ambiguity behind it, and you're almost uh, galvanizing and legitimizing the people who have been using it that way. Right, because I believe, based on having how much I saw it on the internet back in the day, in a, as an innocuous meme, like I think it's a very small minority of people that wound up turning this into something evil. Um, but it like they just won. They like poisoned it for the rest of us, you know? Yeah. So I, I was just going to say something I forgot to mention about him. Like the, the notice that was posted on Hillary's site is very quickly afterwards. It was posted on the Anti-Defamation League's website where in that page he is mentioned by name. And I think that it was a big part of, I think he might have let it go if they weren't like Matt Fury's Pepe is the symbol for white nationalism. Mm-hmm. Like it really tied him to it in a way that like was unavoidable now. I mean, it was inevitable that he was going to get tied to it because it, it yeah. becomes a, it becomes a, okay, well, who did this? Who, who can we hold accountable for it? Right. Um, and unfairly, of course, it's going to fall on the creator, but you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I think understandably, as as we described earlier, you know, as a kind of a hippie, easygoing guy, he probably didn't feel the need to get involved as quickly or as or as um, diligently as he did initially, as he would have done yep. initially otherwise. So, you know, now you're in this situation where you've already been designated as a hate symbol and your your name has been attributed to it. What do you do now? So this is when he starts to kind of explore options and and Mm -hmm. you know see if there's any way to kind of uh, change the narrative around pepe um to varying degrees of success i think when he like the ted talk stuff's not working when he lawyers up is when things start to get exciting and like i kind of it was like oh shit adrenaline was pumping like let's go like i want to see him win 
Well, uh, I, I will even say before that, right, right, even mm. before he even lawyered up, yeah. his kind of like last like, and, and I think this was like a little bit of like as a as oh, an yeah, artist, yeah. I can't take this anymore. He yes. made a pretty big symbolic gesture of killing off Pepe in his Boys Club comic, mm-hmm. um, and and that was kind of him saying, I I can't I can't take this character a, as he is now. Um, yeah. So did kind of like a, a dramatic kind of send off for this character. Unfortunately, the alt right kind of it, that further emboldened them and, and said, you know, Pepe's ours. He's now. ours now. One. Yep. So yeah, we we spoke a little bit out of turn there, but it's 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 essentially you know that it's all culminating towards the end of the documentary as this moment of when he starts to kind of really put his foot down and 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 start you know trying to take back the image in a more um, in a more litigious legal you know fashion. Yep. So you know ultimately and fantastically he wins. Um, Fury wins uh, out the case and. Uh, he wins in the form of uh, them not going to court, but Alex Jones and company settling out of court. Um, you know, publicly, Alex Jones talks about, well, this was a win for us because, you know, it's pocket change. But, you know, on the flip side, Matt Fury says, you know, this is probably more money than I'm, I've, I've ever made off of Pepe as a comic, you know, yep. on its own. So, you know, there there is this both a moral victory for Fury but also this this desperately needed and deserved monetary victory that he is seeing some money from this character. It's it's huge, um, and it is just a symbolic victory. Like Pepe is still at the end of the video, like the documentary, a, a symbol of hate. There's kind of a bittersweet moment where you see him go to the offices of the Anti Defamation League and speak to him, like the the leader there, one of the the higher ups there. And say like make a case for removing Pepe, um, given all the steps that he's taken, and given you know the situation of its origin, and the guy refuses him, and he clearly feels bad about it, but he's just like this is what it is, and I, I can't take it off. Um, so it is a bittersweet ending, but ultimately you're just like you, you just sort of feel triumphant for Matt Fury, and then I don't know if you want to talk about like the one. Um, I'll I'll at least lead into it is like where they leave it off is they talk to that wizard again and he's like the only thing and he's got a like very geeky voice the only thing that would allow for Pepe to actually uh, change is for it to be reappropriated and used for some other completely different positive context and then they do a smash cut um, in probably my favorite part of the documentary to the Hong Kong protests. Yes. No, we, of course, we absolutely need to talk about this part. Um, it's huge. Uh, would you Would you like to describe it, or do you want me to? I, I, would, I would love to. Um, Go for it. So they cut to the Hong Kong protests of, I believe, 2018 or 2019. Um, pro-democracy protests. And who else becomes the mascot of democracy and peaceful protest but pepe they use pepe as a symbol for the protester movement and for righteousness and standing up against tyranny and it is so like special to see all of these protesters like truly just standing around trying to hide their face so the government won't come after them really like putting their lives on the line 
to stand up against the tyranny of the Chinese government using Pepe as like this little stuffed mascot that so many of them have and on posters and on spray painted on walls um, and taking joy and comfort. And like, like they interview some of them and they're like, well, I, I like Pepe because he's ugly and I like to look at his ugly little face. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's kind of adorable that moment when she describes it. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's remi- like that moment is kind of reminiscent to the feels good part of the beginning of when it was just like, I yeah. like, I like this thing cause it's funny and it, and in a weird way I can kind of see a little bit of myself in it. And it's just this like glimmer of hope, this light at the end of the tunnel that maybe in the end, this guy's creation of Pepe won't, be remembered for being only a symbol of evil um but it, it may be a symbol of of change and of hope um or at least there's a, there's hope for that to happen um it was very moving to me that part i kind of teared up um and it's so beautiful as a moment it's like deliciously ironic because it's like all these alt-right trolls were like well you don't own pepe pepe is for everyone you don't get to say what Pepe is. If we want him to be racist, he can be racist. And here's these people, who, good-hearted people fighting for their democratic freedoms who are like, no, you don't own Pepe. Pepe is not what you say it is. Like, if we want to use him our way, we can use him our way too. Um, and it's like, yeah, fuck you. Hoisted by your own petard, you little shits. Um, Do you think it's ever going to be possible to fully take back Pepe? And in a broader s- scheme of things... Do you think it's actually really possible to change a hate symbol? As to the first question about, like, do I think it's ever going to be possible to change Pepe? I mean, it seems like Hong Kong shows that it it is possible, at least if you have no other context for Pepe. Like, there are people in Hong Kong, I'm sure, who have no idea that Pepe is used as a symbol for white nationalism in in America. Um, And in fact, like... I don't know, in a, a to a lesser extent, this fascists using a symbol of peace and joy and perverting it into a symbol of hatred is is nothing new. The swastika for millennia in India and you know Buddhist cultures, um, Southeast Asia, a symbol for is it's a symbol for peace. It's a symbol for, you know, it's a symbol for peace. Is that right? It's a symbol I did of not like, know that. Yeah. I genuinely um, did not know that. You didn't know that? Yeah. Um, it looks different from the Nazi swastika. Um, or the I, I, I'm super into Buddhist history. I studied a little bit in college, and I really like Buddhism a lot. So um, this is something that is a huge bummer because if you look at a bunch, if you look at like ancient artworks, uh, ancient Buddhist artworks, covered in swastikas because that was a symbol for peace um and you know i think it was it's literally like there was a a phrase that you would use to wish somebody peace back in the day like a swastika or something like that um and either way this is a deliberate perversion on the part of the nazis to take an aryan symbol of the true aryans which are you know Indians um, and pervert that into by literally like turning it 45 degrees, like you were turning a cross upside down and um, turning that into a symbol of their power 
and exclusivity and nationalism and the power of one group to subjugate another. Um, so this is not a new phenomenon by any means. It's just that Pepe doesn't have the millennium long history that the swastika does. Um, and this question of, is it possible to reclaim something that's been perverted into a symbol of hatred is something that, you know, people who come from cultures where the swastika is seen as very innocuous and even very positive, um, when they come to America or European countries, they have to adjust pretty quickly to not, you know, not post that anywhere, not have that on them in their house, you know, or in their office, like you can't do it. Um, I'd like to think the answer is yes. I just think it may take a really long time because you really get only one. Well, it's like first impressions. You only get one first impression. It's like when you learn about a symbol for the first time, especially if that's reinforced like a few times after that, you, you pretty much immediately like that's what it means to you. You know, I, it took a lot of like, it took a lot of like conscious will to be able to look at a, a swastika and not think Nazism. And even then I, I would be lying if I felt entirely comfortable, if I told you I, I'm entirely comfortable looking at swastikas, it's still weird. Um, even though I know that like the Nazi use of it is ultimately a drop in the bucket in terms of time on planet earth that it's been used that way. It's just, they used it so intensely and poisoned it so intensely with their hatred and their cruelty that it's hard not to see it that way. Um, all of which is to say, like, I sincerely hope that it's possible. Um, I sincerely hope that it's possible. And I think given enough time that it is, but we may be talking about decades and decades and not like a year or two, you know, we may be talking about a lifetime, unfortunately, because it really does take time for things like that to fade away. So when Fury spoke with the Anti-Defamation League for to make his case for um, removing Pepe off the list, and they both gave their kind of points of view on why, you know, for, you know their their own arguments. Um, what did you think about that? I, I found that both of them were there were compelling points on both sides, but where did you ultimately fall on that? To take Pepe, to take Pepe off the Anti-Defamation League's list as a hate symbol is to take all the fun away from cruel people who want to freak others out. I know it doesn't necessarily make it less of a symbol of hate if it's being used that way, but I agree with Matt's point that it's like, well, it's a meme. It could be used for anything. Any meme could be used in a racist way if it's put in that context, if it's, if it's twisted for that end. Um, but ultimately, if you designate something to be a hate symbol, then good-hearted people won't use it at all, and it really just removes any competition that people have for this meme so that it becomes ultimately solidified as a symbol of hatred. I, yeah, I, I almost don't have a, a lot to add there. I think that's exactly it. I mean, when, when you think about the mentality of a troll, um, you're hmm. basically taking the wind out of their sails when you say, oh, that's, that's not really trolling anymore. Um, they will quickly move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. It, because it's it's a race to the bottom mm. morally ethically it's a race to the bottom who can be the most offensive stupid to to 
to garner the most attention. And if you took away Pepe as, as something that was cool for that, if Pepe became a symbol for trans rights or something like that, very yeah. quickly people would stop using it. Yeah. Um, and I think they could even manufacture, like if they posted to the website, like, good news, uh, ADL officially recognizes Pepe as a symbol of trans rights. It's been taken back. Um, oh, my God. White nationalists would lose their fucking mind. They would, would lose be, their yeah. mind tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Even if they only had like five Pepe's to post on the the like trans rights Pepe's to put on the the website, like they would lose their mind. So another thought I had would be the reverse of this. So, you know, can you think of any examples of a hate symbol that was successfully turned into a positive symbol? And you know, as I thought about this, the only example I could give, and this one is just like opening up a whole other can of worms, but it's you know the N word. And by the N-word, I mean naggers, you know, people who nag a lot and complain (laughs) and stuff. I'm joking. Um, No, no. In all seriousness, the N-word, like, it. that's pretty much the only example in history I can think of that was such a horrible, derogatory thing to say that was kind of reclaimed for a, a very strong period in time. And and now, I would say, is a little bit more complicated. Um, Certainly... Um, you know, there there is a case for, you know, a lot of black people who say that, that you know, it's it's unacceptable no matter hard R or not. Mm. Um, but it, it is a very interesting kind of timeline of how such a such a horrible word was kind of reclaimed and then kind of, you know, it, it became this we can say that word, you can't say that word type thing. Mm. Um I can't really think of any other example other than that, but it's it's wild, right? I mean I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm trying to think myself. Like, I can't really. Um, I can't think of too many hate symbols, period, though, to be honest with you. like, Thank God. It's not like right? you're like, oh, I have my Rolodex of hate symbols that I can go through. <laughs> Let me look at my walls. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> um, um, I have a question for you. Sure. What do you think... Like, I just was watching these people on 4chan, and I was watching that dude who does weights in his garbage-filled room in his mom's basement. And I was thinking about, like, how did we get here? What conditions in society allowed these kinds of people, like, created these kinds of people and allowed them to continue living this way? Like, I know the Internet plays a huge part in it, but it can't just be the Internet, you know? Like... There's got to be more. Um, no, that's an, that's an excellent question. And we, we touched on it very briefly. You know, this the, the, their self-proclaimed NEETS, N-E-E-T. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's like they it's, – it's, it's, it's interesting how a group of people who would, who would normally be, you know, the shuns, the outcasts, the untouchables of society um, kind of like unionized in a weird way. And the mm-hmm. internet kind of became this catalyst for them to find a community in, in their isolation, but also um, give them kind of this false sense of importance. Like mm. basement dwelling, literal basement dwelling people who do nothing with their lives can can weaponize this this homogenous tool that everyone has to use in their lives now against them. And it's it's this weird thing of like, you know, they spend 
probably the most time on the internet of anyone. So therefore, they probably have the most technological savvy to weaponize it in a way against the the, the normal common public. Yep. Um, so I guess to kind of kind of tackle your your question because I don't really have a, a clear answer for it. Sure. I think these people always existed. There was always a percentage of the population throughout history who just for, fell off the map for whatever reason. You know, unfortunately, that could be due to mental illness, social anxiety, uh, physical deformities, or or maybe you know overweight, or just you know, or maybe even just simply you don't get along with people. You're abrasive, or or you know, I don't yeah. know, na- name it. I, I think there was always that that percentage of people in the world. But I think now when we live in the social media internet era where everyone has a voice and everyone's voice is, is tuned like, a, like an audio engineer to have the same volume output regardless of how worthy that voice is, um, now you're getting mm-hmm. these movements like this. Um, I, I mean, yep. I could even imply that to Donald Trump. I do not think Donald Trump ever should have been able to have the podium – the 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 soapbox about politics that he did but because anyone can everyone feels like they're qualified he should have had a fraction of of the voice of someone who actually had a political career you know it's kind of like kanye can now feel galvanized to just go up and say i want to run for president too because i think the internet and and society accepted this enablement of everyone can just do what they want and have an opinion about everything. I think that's probably the key to it. As I'm listening to you talk, because like the reason I asked that question is like I just feel like there has to be for all of these people to exist in this sort of stasis state outside of society, unengaged, like just not connected even with friends, and certainly not with like a romantic partner, and like barely connected to their family. Like I, I think that society has to fail in some very key way in order for that to happen. Um, And I think that there's a a few different things. And I I think that like we're a generation, the generation that's doing this is the generation with the least economic like prospects of any generation before it. Like the first generation to experience lower uh, economic prospects than their parents had. Um, and, And we're also going through a period of time where, you know, the baby boomer generation is, is, still dominant in the economic marketplace and so therefore you know we are while like the millennial generation is there's a lot of people we're not we're nowhere near the baby boomer uh size and so they still dominate the economy and they're the most they control politics they control business they control pretty much everything still and they're not letting go of power it's kind of like my perfect example of that is the septuagenarian debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, where it's just like, yeah, the two people who are at the forefront, the cutting, bleeding edge of politics are these two geezers who, you know, can barely string three words together. Um, And the other part of this that I think about is like, when I think of the right, I think of like my high school and I think of the Christian brothers and you know, the faculty of that school, which were overwhelmingly conservative. I mean, it's Catholic, right? So they tend to, there is a left-leaning strain within Catholicism, but on the whole, in the area that I grew up, it's the suburbs of Jersey, and it's a wealthy town. 
So they're a, it's like a predominantly conservative town. Um, I, I think of the values that I was taught at my high school of kindness and charity, um, service, uh, honor, dignity, compassion, like all of these things that I was taught to value and that are associated with family values, with the right, at least they were when I was growing up. And how so much of an emphasis in my high school was put on making people, turning young men into like great adults uh, with good character. Character was a big part of it. Um, And I think like, I I just, as we were talking about that, so I was thinking about like, there must be some of these right-wingers at my old high school and these poor like Christian brothers, these sweet like people who have just like, completely sheltered and arguably out of touch, like completely out of touch, but they must be tearing their hairs out, hair out being like, why, why are they filled with such hatred? What, what do we do about this? Um, because this isn't what they were aiming at. This is not what I associate with the better side of what the right can offer. Um, even though I'm, I've never been right wing. Um, and so I, I was just thinking about like, part of it is that society is failing these young men and not teaching them how to not offering them a place in the workplace, not offering them a place in society. And then also the internet then becomes the natural. The only reason why usually in, in the past when that happens, revolutions happen because people get all pent up and they don't know what the hell to do. There's nothing else for them to do. So they go and they go nuts in the street. Um, But what it has happened instead is that has become sublimated into the internet. And like you've said, people, rather than changing either themselves to grow, to become better people or society to become more equitable or to present better opportunities for them and the people they care about, rather than making external or internal change, they have rather jacked into the internet and become hooked into these communities that allow them to completely explain why their world is this way and that it is right for it to be this way. And it is this alternate reality that becomes their reality. And um, it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. I I just think we've like society has to have failed a lot of these young men because it's true. Like you were saying that there have always been people like this, but I think it's also been true that at other times in history, there's also been avenues and resources for people who are cast out of society to f- build the skills necessary and find their path into becoming a part of the whole again, you know, getting back in the game. And I just don't think there's as much of that these days. As we wrap up here, I'm trying to think of a good would you rather, but I almost feel like the, the subject matter is almost too macabre to like really joke about in any yeah i i thought that this would be funnier but the more that i like i think the fact that it's about a cartoon frog allows it to get into some really deep shit um in a way that is kind of profound and i think i didn't realize exactly how deep it is until we started to talk about it yeah i mean i i have no regrets watching it i think it was incredible and i highly recommend other people to watch it if you haven't prior to listening to this but yeah yeah, it is. It is not. Um, it's just it, it's sad on multiple levels. It's sad in the micro and the macro. You know, you're, you're seeing a character. You're, you're seeing this guy, Matt Fury's life. 
and and mm. and this incredibly this incredibly unique situation he's in. But it's also this like greater extrapolation when you look when you look through like a wider lens of how this is this is a a just a prime example of how fucked up the country is right now. Yeah. That bit about Hong Kong at the end is is sort of the glimmer of hope that I'll take. Is like, even if it's not here, hope is possible. You know, it's it's not all darkness all the time. Um, even if times are dark here right now, there are still people who are actively doing something about it. So maybe we can too in a small way. Even that, even if that's just keeping hope alive in our hearts. Even if that's all you can, I can manage today, like just to do that and to get on with my life and support, you know, take good care of myself so that I can be a force for kindness in the, my immediate circle. Like maybe that's enough for today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, you know, your life's work, you know, you spending 40 grand on, on merchandise and then it's a hate symbol. Like I, I don't. You know, imagine waking up tomorrow and finding out that this podcast is the most popular fucking, like, Islamophobe podcast in the world. Right, that for some reason, just the name of it and the the cover art, people liked, like, that group of people liked enough to become our number one fans. It'd be nuts. Um, And then then we had to spend the rest of our careers kind of changing that image to, like, little to no avail. But yeah, in my mind, he's a badass for what he's done. Um, and the worst thing you can say is that he didn't want to get into that fight sooner than he had to. And I, Mm -hmm. I can understand that for sure. But once it became time to step up and fight back, he really, he did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and it feels good, man. Feels Feels good. good, man. It's it's a shame because when when you first told me about this doc, yeah. I thought it was um, a porno about touching up John Goodman. Oh. Uh, but you know what? This worked too. There's also one about um, John Goodman just crying for two hours, and that's Goodman feels. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. It's not good. Don't watch it. All right. I think, uh, like, in closing, like, watch this documentary. It's really good. Absolutely. Yeah, it's probably one of the best docs you're going to see this year, hands down. Yeah. Uh, Jack, where can the listeners reach out to us? Info at mouthsoundspodcast.com is our email. So hit us up there. We would love to to read your, your emails. All right, and that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and uh, feel good, man. Man. (laughs) Bye.